This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. A choice right now, right now. Between fear and love. It's just a run. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expounding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into a, an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very good. Expanding reality. Welcome to Expanding Reality. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this incredibly cool episode, guys, Paul Askoff returns to talk about his new UFO sightings that he has tons of cool pictures on, which I will be including in the video version of this. And guys, we just have the coolest conversation. He blows our minds as he did the first time that he came on. His book, UFOs, The Real Story, will be linked down below. We're keeping this tight, so check the links for the sh uh, shirts, for the website, for Expansive Insider, all the affiliate stuff. And without any further ado, Paul Askoff. You're watching Expanding Reality, and this is the show to watch. I love it. Paul Askoff, man. So good to see you. How are you, my friend? I'm excellent. Thank you, Brandon. And you? Every day above ground's a wonderful day. I appreciate you asking as well, man. So you have been busy or occupied, and you've been seeing a lot of things in the sky since you and I had spoken. I'm going to link our first conversation on the show because you're a returning guest, and I'm grateful for you. Not only do I just res uh, respect you so much as an author and a researcher, but just as a friend. You know, I just think you're one of the sweetest dudes ever, and your beautiful wife, Eve, and y'all are always going and doing really cool stuff. So, uh, also, your book, UFOs, The Real Story, uh, is going to be linked below and all the other ways to find you. So, now that we've gotten that going, guys, um, let's let's get to this. Paul, what is going on, man? How have you been? Yeah, well, with a new version, uh, an expanded version uh, another 62 pages of explanations of why witnesses see what they do and why they experience what they do. So I've really expanded on that. Following our first conversation, Brandon, uh, I've sort of tried to make it more in layman's language for people to understand of why things happen that do happen. Fascinating. And you uh, reached out uh, back in December, and it just took us a minute to get this thing set up on my end. You've been very sweet and patient. Um, the, you sent me a series of events that you've been experiencing with photographic evidence, with sightings, and you broke them up into e uh, independent emails so that each sighting is its own email. I'm telling you, the meticulousness in which you did this and the thoughtfulness in which you presented this to me, I'm gratefully appreciative of. So I kind of want to talk about a few of these things with you, if you don't mind. Sure. Okay, cool. So uh, let's talk about the first uh, sighting that you had. Um, you were talking about visiting after sp visiting five days in uh, Wiltshire. Do you remember this? Oh, right. That was a, a recent one. 
uh, I have my transcript of it here. And what happened was we'd been down in Wiltshire, we'd been to Longleat House, which is a big country park, the Lions of Longleat for anybody that's uh, been there. And we'd been and done all this, all the touristy bits. And we were actually travelling back from the areas called Froome, back up past Warminster towards Westbury and back up through the Cotswolds and back up to the north of England where I live. And literally, it was early in the morning. We'd just set off from the hotel. And we're coming back up uh, towards Melksham. And literally, as we passed Westbury, I saw this bright flash in the sky. Now, it's, it's like normally when you see things, you think, hmm, is it just an aircraft that I've just seen in the distance? And, but there was nothing else there. So I'm looking. Now, unfortunately, if you put yourself in my position, I'm on near the rear of the coach there was nobody near me the coach was only half full but so i was sat in a double seat on my own next to the window and it's one of these with darkened glass which i love because you can just put one reclining seats you know very nice Big so bag. you can just sit back and look at the sky right and that's what i was doing and i was just sat there looking at the sky my wife snoring at the side of me nearly you know or the seat <laughs> behind me actually uh and I'm just there looking at this guy, and I saw this bright flash. So I knew what direction we were headed, and it was east from where we were. So I thought, okay, was I just seeing things, or you know how it is? So I'm watching the sky, looking all around, and then I saw another flash in exactly the same place. Nothing else. You couldn't see anything, just this flash, but I've seen it twice now in the same place. So I thought, well, they do get gliders down there, and there are a lot of uh, private airfields in that it is uh, a nice area. So I'm looking around, nothing at all, and then it sort of, if you like, faded into view. There was nothing there, clear blue sky, and then, and it looked like a barbel shape, one on top of the other. Now, this I'm looking at it with the naked eye. Um, I'm looking through a double glazed coach window. So obviously you can rule reflections out and things like that, but you don't get the best view if you like. So I'm looking at this thing and it looked like a barbel in the distance. I was very small, well, obviously quite a long way off. Um, and I thought, right, the only thing I'd got on me that I could use was a, my mobile phone. Samsung, quite a good uh, camera on it. So I started taking pictures but the problem is, as many investigators find, the camera uh, has difficulty, unless it's a, a good delineated object that's quite sharp and in the camera have difficulty photographing through glass. Anyway, I must have taken 15 pictures at least of the sky. And out of all of them, because what I found was, if I zoomed in on it, it wouldn't take a picture. Uh, and if I zoomed out, you couldn't see it very well either. So I was just taking pictures. And in the end, uh, one of just one of the pictures actually had something on. But as I'm looking at it with the naked eye, it was still that barbel shape, vertically, one on top of the other, white. Uh, but when the photograph, digital camera, obviously, uh, when that I looked at that, and the exposure on there, and it was, exposure is the wrong word, really. But anyway, 
on there, it was cylindrical. It was just like a boiler, like a hot water cylinder that you'd get. Yeah, like a cigar on, shape, like some the, people report. Yeah. yeah. So it was it was different on what my camera had recorded to what I was actually seeing. Hmm. And it was in view probably maybe 30 seconds. Didn't move position, perfectly still. Uh, so as we were moving up from Westbury towards Melksham, I think it is going north, northeast. We were headed almost, and the and it was it was stationary in the sky, and then it just slowly faded, like 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 you were seeing it more and more through fog, until it just faded away completely, and you couldn't see anything at all, and I didn't see any more flashes either. Now what got me was. Uh, about two days after we got home, um, I was a, in one of the Facebook groups for a UFO research group that covers that area, and somebody else had seen something. And, of course, you get the usual people, oh, yeah, it was just a hot air balloon and all the usual things. How many and hot I air said, balloons well, are I... flying around? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I haven't seen a hot air balloon but, in a long time. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> but it was funny that, this with literally within, I would say, 48 hours, it could have been less than that. Uh, I'd seen something in the same area as well, so I contacted them, and that's when I put my the photograph that I'd taken where you could actually see something and my account of it. And that's when I put that on their group and on my Facebook page as well. You know, and I do want to point out this uh, the real story uh, Facebook group that you've got, and this is where a lot of these sightings that you've uh, that you post, you just you're a magnet for these things, which we know from our first conversation together. You and your wife are just like tapping each other on the shoulder. Hey, bunch of orbs. You know, oh yeah, 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 that's cool. Let me finish this paragraph in my book real quick, hon, and then I'll look. That's how routine these things are to you, but you you're way more whimsical about it every time, and I think. I know that you guys treat it as a gift every time, which is why you receive it. So it's an awesome thing. So again, uh, your The Real Story Facebook group is going to be located down here as well. I wanted to ask you about this case just a little bit here before we move on. So, you know, you do have this picture here, uh, and I'm going to include all this stuff as, as well, guys. So you have this picture here, and it does. It looks like... You could say it is a barbell like you described. At the moment of this picture, it does sort of look like a turned cylinder object with sort of a broad face that's, uh, I would say, re reflected its shadow here. It looks like a shadow. And then the rest of it sort of glints in a symmetrical, I mean, pattern. It looks like it. you can really tell that there is something there, which is really interesting. You, always, you also get the best uh, pictures of UFOs. We're going to talk about the... Google Street View in here in a minute. So um, the other thing about this that I wanted to ask you was, is do you think that it was one fixed shape or that it was changing its shape? I would have to say a fixed shape. We were just seeing it from different angles, so it appeared to yeah. be different shapes. But going back to uh, one of the explanations, Brandon, is I personally believe that the UFOs don't just use our... Uh, electromagnetic spectrum. So that's why uh, I believe that we get the shape-shifting UFOs and you'll get the red red light orbs, UFOs at one end and the blue, purple at the other, although the majority of them seem to be white because they cover a broader spectrum. And I think it's literally just as uh, that part of it is within our visible spectrum. But there's more of it that's not, uh, and I think the that is 
something that's difficult for not just the lay public, but for investigators as well to get the head around. It, it really is like uh it's one of these mysteries that just boggles the mind, and I'm grateful that you have an affinity for making sure that we're clear on that it's still cool to you, because it's cool to all of us, what you're talking about here. So also with the glints, I want to know, with the flashes that occurred, do you think that that was it glinting off of the sun in some way, or that it was entering our visible world or becoming visible or transmuting or something like what's what do you think the flashes were sort of a here i am you know yeah well again i don't know i'm not going to say here i am but uh one of the things that people do see a lot of are flashes in the sky now it's difficult because there are medical conditions which i do cover on my expanded theories that we people will see flashes in their eye and that is one advantage of being where there's a group of you and as as an uh, as an example of this uh, we went with paul sinclair to bempton cliffs and while we were there it was being interviewed um by the outer limits magazine by chris evers for an article for the magazine so they were there all set up with the camera and everything and paul's being interviewed so there was maybe another six of us so we just tried to keep our distance, but we were still looking at the sky. So while we're looking at the sky, we saw flashes. So he's there being interviewed, you know, and as that in the background, there'd be us going, whoa, look at this. Because there were three or four of us all sort of looking in the same direction and seeing flashes of light at the same time. Now, one of the things which I think has come to the fore more recently with digital photography and uh, because we're not relying on exposures and things on film, uh, digital photography is so much more accurate and we're getting more of it uh, where things are being recorded at high speed, where they'll be on one frame but not on another. Yes. So you, you can sort of, for the more scientifically minded, with the speed of the shutter, you can work out how fast something was travelling. Yeah, you get approximated size and distance from you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if you can sort of triangulate and you know how big the object is and how far away from the camera is, you can work out exactly how fast it was going. And I think this is something that's come more to the fore where people are more aware now of how fast yes. these, to us, what we perceive and what we see, how fast UAP, UFO, whatever you want to call it, how fast they move. And I think because of the speed that they do and can move at, that is why we don't see uh, as, or they're not reported as often as they could be, because people just see a flash and something by the time they've looked, it's gone. And I think this is also true where they use the electromagnetic spectrum, where they go through our visible spectrum they can flash from above our visible spectrum at the higher end where the gamma rays, uh, ultraviolet, then they come down through our visible spectrum and then it goes down to radio waves at the lower end and less energy. But if they go through that, we might just see the flash literally as they pass through our visible range and then that's it, you don't see any more. So if something's able to change its vibration 
to tune itself and goes through it, all you're going to see, all that anybody will see, the witnesses on the on the ground, they're just going to see a flash of light. So that is one explanation. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I believe it's a solid background where that could be what's happening. It's like channel surfing. You know, because I think of reality as like channels on a radio, st- like a radio station yeah. or like a TV. Let's just say a TV for ease of conversation. So as you're yeah. watching one particular station, let's call it Earth, this time, this place, then you're like, okay, yeah, that's cool. But what if you're an alien and you're like, okay, well, I want to go to a channel. It's on channel 10, but I'm on four. I need to go six up. So what you do is you phase through the different channels or you scroll through them real quick to get to that channel of experience that you want. But really, yeah. you pass through the other ones on your yeah. way to that one. That's an interesting yeah. thing that perhaps it's not a jump from here to there. It's a progression, like a path. Like you need to go this direction through the woods to get to that place. But the same dimensionally as well, that they're stair-stepping through and then they flash in for us real quick. And for them, they're just on their way somewhere else. I don't care if we see them yeah. or not. That's fascinating. Yeah. I, think, I mean, if you think about it, the analogy is good. Uh, for the older people that are listening in, it might might be just like the old-fashioned radio where they were twiddling go. the knob and, you know. Yeah, and you'd still hear a little bit. of The radio is actually a better analogy yeah. because of the crossover yeah. in frequencies. Because uh, as you go from 96.3 to 96.5, you know, there's a little static or a little fuzz, you know. So there's a little, you can hear yeah. a little bit of each until you pick which one you really want to focus in on. And it's almost like, like you said, the visible spectrum that we're able to see them in only occurs when they're with us for that moment or phased in completely to this station. So actually, again... Radio is a better analogy because there's a bit of nuance into dialing it in a little bit better, which would more explain how you how it appeared to drift away in a fog to you rather than blink out of existence. But the other thing yeah. is we hear about craft that do blink out of existence. So maybe the same thing. Maybe they're just, you know, faster or a different type exactly. of technology. If, if you think if we go back to if I just uh, if you'll allow me to give a quick explanation of. You, I will allow you to take your time, sir. You please just tell us everything you want. I just love hearing you talk. Please go ahead. Okay. If we'll go back to the beginning with the normal electromagnetic spectrum that we use in our world, if you like, there's the radio waves, the lower energy and the longer wavelengths at the lower end. And then you come up from radio waves through the infrared that generates heat into our normal visible spectrum where you've got red at the lower end. Then you go through the visible spectrum up through the, and out through the, uh, I'm going to say purple, but ultraviolet end, yeah, yeah, because yeah. then when we get to ultraviolet, X-rays, and then gamma rays, uh, the higher energy and shorter wavelengths. Now, the thing is, that is the electromagnetic spectrum that we're aware of. The cosmologists and people with far better brains than I've got, they believe that most of the universe now is made up of dark energy and dark matter and that is what what explains a lot of the uh, things that they haven't been able to explain before but it also helps us to explain both the paranormal and uh, ufology because if et is i'm being very kind here a thousand years in front of us they may well be fifty thousand years in front of us by being this advanced and having their technology, they can understand not only our spectrum from one end to the other, but the whole of the dark energy and dark matter 
and use it. So it's like a, a stack of frequencies on top of each other. And this is the interdimensional thing. This is where we get the crossover between one dimension and the other. And all this that we can't see, this dark energy and dark matter, are just the different dimensions. It's as simple as that. Now, I'm not a scientist, but it's a simple explanation of why we see what we do, why we experience what we do. Why are these areas like uh, Skinwalker Ranch, uh, the, these other uh, these areas every all over the world? And I think, I mean, the Bermuda Triangle. So it's like, oh, there's a Welsh Triangle, there's a Bermuda Triangle, there's this triangle and that triangle. I do not believe that the triangle is shaped at all. I think that's just man putting his, well, it was that point and that point, yeah. Just landmarks, so, right? Yeah. Another one's the yeah. meadow uh, by uh, Trey Hudson, another fellow author of yours on Flying Disc Press. Trey Hudson has the meadow project. It's out there. The South Skinwalker yeah. Ranch yeah. is another crazy one of those places. He will also verify yeah. and does not call it a triangle, sir. So good call. Yeah. And I also think that these these areas are what the old uh, American Indians, our shaman, all over, in, all over the world, in India, China, all these different places. This is what they were more in tune with. They were more aware of these areas. And that's why, going back to, we'll use Skinwalker as an example. That is one of the reasons that they have this, uh, the, the original American Indians sort of view, sort of held it as sacred because they knew uh, that they couldn't control it. They were aware of it, and maybe the shaman could use uh, the energy from it. And I think that's what UFOs do. And these areas are where, if you like, the veil becomes thin. So it's easier to cross over from one to another. Now, these are all over the world, and there's, I bet there's thousands of them, some obviously more better known than others. But I believe this is where we get a lot of uh, magnetic anomalies, where we get a lot of... Um, seismic uh, fault lines and things like that, where we get a lot of the ring of fire around the Pacific and China and Japan and all this. And I think it's it's not piezoelectric. It's an electromagnetic thing that's sort of driving it from a, a much deeper and a more whole uh, universe, if you like, a different thing altogether. And we just use the... Uh, electromagnetic, like uh, a guy called um, Paul. Uh, no, yes, Paul Devereux. Yeah, Paul Devereux. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the French. Uh, he, he was a, a journalist and investigator, and he said it was a piezoelectric effect from tectonic plate movement that was creating these earth lights, as he called them. Uh, now, I can agree with it but only to a certain extent, because he was saying it accounts for all UFOs and things like that, and it's just a piezoelectric effect of the of the rock, because the, the energy has to find an escape somewhere, because everything is energy. Now, I can go along with it to a certain extent, but when you've seen UFO, uh, when you've seen UAP, whatever you want to call it, you know it's not just an electromagnetic effect. It's controlled. When I saw mine and many others, <laughs> and I'm sure people like Whitley Strieber, uh, Travis Walton, all the, they'll tell you it's definitely not a piezoelectric <laughs> effect. But 
The, the thing is, there are these areas all over the world, and I do believe that UFOs use this to their advantage. Because if you think about it, if you're completely in control of the whole of the electromagnetic spectrum, not just our bit, but all the dark energy and dark matter as well, it becomes easy then to move at will through everything. And that is why I think UFOs are often seen, like the scene at Skinwalker, the scene at the Welsh Triangle, the scene over the Bermuda Triangle, the scene in these areas, uh, Trey Hudson, you know, that these other lights that they see, uh, the Marfa lights, and these, these places, Australia, all sorts of things. And I think they're all related. And I think a lot of, also you could go into cryptids, and I'm changing tack here a little, no, you know, it's all important. It's all have it all has to do with the conversation. Yeah, uh, where again, that's something that I think is on a different level to us. A different, I'm going to say, a different dimension, where people will see spirit, people will see a ghost, and it's it looks like a solid person. And it's the same with cryptid. You'll get poltergeist activity where they can physically move something within our vibration and i think it's exactly the same with cryptids and that going back to uh, what i mentioned previously when your higher self your soul not that you can communicate with it but your soul knows where we are on our level on our vibration so suddenly you trespass if you like or inadvertently cross over in one of these areas to another vibration. That's when we get no sound. How often do we hear cryptids, UFOs, it suddenly went quiet. The Oz there were no yeah. crickets. Yeah. There were no birds. There was no, no wind. There were nothing. And that's because you're not within our normal acoustic range because you're in a different place. And also, that is when I think your higher self, your soul, recognizes that you're not where you should be. And that's why people experience that terror, that abject terror, that, you know, they're absolutely scared to death. And even to the, to the stage where people are reluctant to go back to the scene because of that feeling, it, it affected them so much. And it's because your soul knows, well, this is what happened last time. I don't want to be doing that again. Yeah, but let, me, a, let me ask I you this. I think it's a subliminal protective mechanism. I think it's absolutely subliminal, but I want to ask you this just to kind of reintroduce a new perception. So whenever I sat down to interview you for the first time, I hadn't been doing this very long, man. I was scared shitless. I, I would sit there and just like shake and stuff. I would drink like three or four beers before a show just to kind of calm my nerves. But I still showed up for it every single time because the fear to me is an indicator that it's actually something amazing. And I'm kind of in the habit of running towards what scares me. And this has been the difference in my life so much so. So let me ask you this. When it applies to the UFO phenomena, do you think that that fear is really just misunderstood anxiety or excitedness that it can be transmuted in a way that really it's shown to be what you wanted and something that you chose to have rather than this scary experience? And even then, if it is that, whenever you're back here, air quotes, whenever you come back to baseline or you're, you're not in that zone anymore, which, man, that was awesome. The eerie way that you just described that place, we all just 
stepped into. So thank you for that. And whenever you come back from that place, is it something to where like as you interpret it further, it starts to make a little bit more sense or becomes either makes more sense or becomes either way more erratic. And so therefore it shapes the way that you feel about it. But either way, let's say that that fear again in my mind, you know, because, yeah, I, after I interviewed like you or like when I sat down to interview like Neil Donald Walsh or something, I'm like shaking, dude, you know, and but I still show up to keep doing it because even though it scares the shit out of me, I know that it's something awesome for me. Do you think that there is a little bit of that in the UFO phenomena or Bigfoot or cryptids or anything like that? Uh, yes and no. It's fair. Yes, because it's the normal human psyche to not put yourself into danger. Uh, and I think that that sort of fight or flight thing, to a certain extent, yes, you can control that. However, I think this is more of a primeval thing where it's a body, re it's a it's a soul reaction. And that's why people get that depth of being afraid and depth of terror that they do. Uh, there's, I mean, one example that's been on television on a recent uh, series, did you see the Port Lock in Alaska? Uh, I did not, no. Right. In essence, it was a small fishing community um, where they started a factory processing fish in Port Lock in Alaska. Uh, the townspeople from day one uh, would experience lots of weird and wonderful things, including uh, a lot of people seeing and being scared by Bigfoot. Uh, and then what happened was they were being attacked at night. Lots of people were seeing, people were terrified, people were going missing. And in the end, the it was only a small town. They were so scared, they actually all left. And they, it just... I'm talking probably 40 years ago, something like that. I can't remember off the top of my head. Now, a group went back with some of the original descendants of people from Portlock, and different things happened. But one of the guys, um, <laughs> he went out watching, and he said, you know, usual bravado, oh, nothing's going to scare me, type of thing. And he went out, and he was just sat there waiting, and then he heard something sort of, not stalking him, but, looking around him, and then something whispered in his ear. Oh, no, thank there was nothing there, oh. and it was like, and he just went, whoa, I'm out of here. <laughs> nope. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, what and, did it say? This bravado was all right up to a point. Yes, yeah, I'm cool, and now I'm not cool. What did it say? Was it intelligible? Like, did it know? Was it a foreign language, no. like a Native American language? Uh, it was just a, a like somebody whispered, but he didn't know what it was. No, thank you. But the reason I'm, I'm saying this is, if you imagine it from uh, a ufological point of view, for something that does understand and can manipulate and use the whole of the magnetic spectrums and the dark energy and dark matter at either side of ours, it then becomes easy for them to use these areas, like Skinwalker will use that as an example. And that's why UFOs are seen there. It's not because UFOs are particularly uh have a base or anything like that at skinwalker but it's an area it's like for want of a better term it, that's a portal to them that they can use and that's why uh there's reports of the cattle mutilation uh the skinwalker lots of ufology but then also you get the the uh darker energies and the lower energies 
that come through. And this is where I worry about people like uh, Paul Sinclair at Bempton and using that area, and then the group now um, that are using Skinwalker and investigating up there, where they get attachments and things like that, and they do get ill, and they, they can be proper physical effects on your body from these areas. And it's something, again, uh, that ET is completely in control of and know what they're doing, and we don't, and we can have bad repercussions from, because it's energies that are not good to us type of thing. Yeah, it's so interesting because then the question is, is is it the use of the craft in the area that make physical human beings here unable to stay in the area and physically sick from it? And then you think of things like Job in the Bible or something like that to where, you know, was that a UFO event? You know what I mean? Did he come in too close to contact with something that had radiation? And that's what they were explaining rather than the punishment yeah. of God. You know, maybe the punishment was he got too damn close to the thing. And they were like, yeah, yeah. this is a uh, we're God. Don't do that because it's going to we're God and don't do that. But really, it makes you sick. And that's how we found out. Perhaps yeah. it's something like this. Uh, it's it's just so interesting, man. So do you think these physical effects, again, are from the craft itself, or do you think it's the area, you know, that they're operated in, and it just because it's such a portal and because it's such a playground, it seems to be almost energetically terraformed for these type of yeah. anomalies to just be, like you said, a portal. Yeah. It can be used like a shortcut, you see, because the energy, if you imagine... Um, the different dimensions can be so close to each other so oh, things can yeah. cross over. And that's where I think you get the cryptids, you get the skinwalkers, you get the dogman, you get Bigfoot. But also uh, UFOs use it as a gateway for them because they can move from one area to another and all the rest of it. And I suppose it's when you're sort of in control of it as they are, they just use that as a normal gateway to pass from A to B and because it uses less energy and it gets them to where they want to be type of thing. But the, the problem, I think, is that our normal investigators are really handicapped where we can only look at things within our normal visible spectrum and then very carefully ultraviolet and infrared and they're using infrared cameras and all things like that. But it's still a very narrow band of our normal spectrum on our level that we're aware of. We see less than one-tenth of one percent is within the visible spectrum. It's such a tiny amount. So even then, with using the ultraviolet and infrared, we're still not seeing that much of a, of a scope of what is available. Uh, and that was one of the things that, I find myself, and my wife tells me off where I'm. I'm saying you you can't do that because you're looking in the wrong area and all things like this. But there's going back to uh, another point with Skinwalker, but it happens all over the world where people's batteries drain and things like that. And there was one a good example. I'm trying to think, I think it was. Uh, could have been Melissa Tittle, actually, uh, and Ben, when they were on something, and I can't remember what, but it was a cattle mutilation. And the area around where the cow was on the ground and had been mutilated, when they approached it with the cameras, the cameras went dead, the photographic equipment, the batteries went. But then when they moved back away from it, they fired back up again. So, so it they... was like... 
Did they drain down to no power or just slowly shut off? It just shut off. Okay. Just, everything, the cameras just went off. Now, obviously, they, these people have, you know, high-end cameras. They know what they're doing. Yeah. But for me, again, going back to these areas where in, in a roundabout way, it's a good thing because if that happens, you're in the right place. If that happens, you've crossed that threshold where you're suddenly going out of your vibration into the vibration of whatever the cryptid, whatever the dogman, whatever the UFO, whatever it is. So you're going into their area and it's on a different uh, frequency. And I think, and I don't, don't ask me how because I don't know, but looking at it logically, that is why uh, they often get these equipment failures at uh, Skinwalker. And you'll see them where they're doing things and they're going to put rockets up through the anomaly and where, where they think it is. And then all the equipment just goes three, two, one, and the computers just turn off. And I think, yeah, because ET knows they don't want you looking at it. So it's just to them, it's simple. They can, you see, everything is you now with the computer sat in front of me the computer I'm sat in front of, everything around us all have magnetic fields. But what we need to understand is our memories, our thoughts and everything in our brains are also magnetic fields. And ET can understand that. That is why you get people that uh, that say, or the, the investigators and they say, how can ET sort of just zoom in on one person? And that's because everything, every person and every everything is unique. So if you're that good at understanding and completely understand the electromagnetic spectrum altogether, you can just tune into that. And it's just like like we said earlier, tuning into your radio station. So, right, I want to go see number... And they're straight to him or her or whoever it is. And that's exactly the same. And for... Our normal investigators, to get the head around that, again, that's a leap of faith that, as Paul Sinclair says, it's the truth with no proof. Because although it sounds logical, me saying it, how can you prove it? Because we don't have the technology that we're aware of that can even measure anything outside our normal spectrum. You know, what I love is that the aliens wait till you get to one and then shut everything off. You know, they don't do it at two or when you're setting shit up. You know what I mean? They're like, all right, let them get all the way through the countdown and then turn everything off. That's great. Yeah. Uh, you know, the other thing that as you're explaining this, man, it just blew my mind about the dimensional sort of collapsing in and stacking of itself. Now, you did this for me the first time you came on. So, of course, you would do this for me now. You you phrase things in a way that it just takes something that I've heard uh, and just took as something like whatever, and then now you've reframed it to where it's very interesting to me. These areas, right? This, this, like you said, these triangles that are called triangles just simply for landmark sake, and let's stick with Skinwalker just for ease of conversation. So these areas here, they do seem to be like a spot, like you said, where multiple dimensions that each carry their own, not only frequency, but creatures that exist in that frequency in them, there's this part where they can sort of all come together. You know, there's this place in the States called the Four Corners where four states meet. And it's sort of like, you know, I mean, I know those are imaginary lines, but this might be sort of a spiritual or an energetic portal equivalent to sort of a Four Corners, where maybe in this area, the reason there's such a variety of activity isn't because it's one thing that can do everything. It's because it's an access area that has a toe dipped in all of these different worlds 
worlds that those entities can sort of come here. It's it's sort of like a, okay, I'll give you a good example. There's this, uh, do you know what a meerkat is? Those little things over in Africa and they kind of like stand up on their hind legs, you know what I mean? In uh, the Lion King, Puma and Timon, there was the skinny little creature that was a meerkat. Are you familiar with the animal? Yeah. Okay. In our in our zoo over here in the States, there is an exhibit where they have those, but there's also a little tunnel that you can go inside, crawl into the exhibit itself, and then pop up through a portal that's a glass dome on the outside that you can see. So you can like go see your little sister in there or whatever. You can go in there and you pop your head up and now you're in this environment where there's meerkats all around. It could sort of be this equivalent to where you have access to a world through this means or through this area. There's a tunnel there, all of it energetic probably, to where then you have a glimpse or an, uh, even, even interaction in this area. And perhaps like you were saying, these skinwalkers that appear could be anything. Maybe it's just a dog man because dimension four blends with dimensions one, two, and three here. And dimension three is where Bigfoots are. Dimension two is where UFOs and aliens and shit are. And we're in one. And maybe this point where they all converge is sort of an access for all of them. And it's sort of this interesting interdimensional highway that you talk about now where you took it even further from me as you kept going was is that it's a vibrationally specific thing as far as what you encounter in these areas, which I love. I'm right here with you. And so is the audience. The idea that whenever you're looking in the sky and someone sees a UFO, someone doesn't. Uh, whenever there's a near-death experience that happens, someone sees angels and demons, someone sees Buddha. Like the idea that the way that you are is the way that whenever phenomenal things happen appear to you as has everything to do with it. If you're in a scary situation, like you said, perhaps these areas scare the shit out of people and give them bad experiences so that they don't come back because they're not welcome here energetically. But perhaps if some people do go out with a good heart, no cameras, we're not trying to, and maybe they gain access to some really cool wisdom there that perhaps like, like you were talking about, the indigenous people here had access to something. Maybe not all of it was bad. Maybe they themselves, like their shaman or something, reached a air quotes, vibrational level where they could interact with something in these phenomenal areas that came through with an energy that was amazing and, and abundant and resourceful. And so it kind of has its dual-edged sword, but also it's a built-in safety mechanism. So you don't get a bunch of dummies wandering through the portal that aren't a vibrational match to go interact with things that they don't understand. You know what I mean? Yep, exactly. Yep, you're right. It's so interesting. Well, it, well, you made me think about the portals collapsing. And now I'm thinking like, I got the image of Thor. I don't know if it's a second one or third one or something like that. That Thor movie and all the nine realms are like coming together and they're like these discs. But in those discs that look TD, 2D to us, there's a whole realm in there. You know, and like the green one is Bigfoot. The blue one is Dogman. You know what I mean? And so I pictured it the, as you were explaining it. You gave me the image of that. And as they all sort of align, you get an area like Skinwalker or the meadow, like Trey Hudson's thing. Uh, it's it's so interesting, Paul. Yep. Very interesting. When yep. you think about it, uh, <laughs> to try and put it in simple terms, uh, it is, I'm not saying it's scientifically uh, explainable with our technology we have, but it is plausible and it makes sense and it's logical. Yeah. It is damn sure that. So then I wanted to ask you this, because a lot of these areas have some geological anomalies in them. Like you said, the Ring of Fire, Bermuda Triangle, where shit just goes missing. Do you think that the geological anomalies are because it's a portal? Or do you think the geological anomalies set up the conditions, maybe geo, uh, electric, geomagnetic, something like that, for the portal to exist? Basically, like 
you, uh, UFOs and volcanoes are a big one too. Have you you noticed this? So like these extreme environments, sort of. Do you think that it's an electromagnetic sort of thing? So again, is it the area or the phenomena? I think it's, I think it's certainly the area, and the phenomena uses it. Yeah, right. Like ley lines. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Now the the difference is that uh, we'll say ET, but I want of a better phrase. Uh, can use those channels if they wish as a short circuit. And it's, to them, it's just a, an energy highway for them, a shortcut what they can use to their advantage. How, having said that, they are then free to go wherever they want and do whatever they wish. If, but if you think about it, it, that is why a lot of people say, me included, that ET and UAP are around us constantly and people aren't aware of it and we only see it when it passes through our normal visible spectrum. You know, and I'm wondering if, okay, so let's say that we're a ball in space spinning around a sun. Let's say that we're in a 3D grid area that there is, there are different energetic clouds, let's say, sort of like an asteroid belt. When you go through an asteroid belt or something like that, we get a bunch of Okay. So let's say you have that. Let's say then that our Earth, as it rotates around in this field, gets access to different portals. Like the portals stay in the same place, basically. And because we're in it in a certain area, maybe there's access to it. Or as we make our orbit, there's like a tube of area. You know what I mean? That stays and that Skinwalker Ranch just happens to be all the time in that area, no matter what our Earth position is. So this would be interesting as sort of to note, and I know people do this and take uh, times of year and all of that into account, but I'm talking star alignments and everything, like talk um, even down to the astrological charts of the people going out there and at the time that they are going out there, even selecting things to be that lined up. I, I, I'm just curious to see, you know, because I think the investigations are going that way. There's so many questions that we come to as we investigate this, which I'm so grateful for. And I want to ask you about something here in a minute before we wrap. But what's really interesting too is the investigations now are to a point to where there are different sort of combinations of settings that we're able to entertain based on all the new information. For example, um, had Alexander Petikoff on. He did Bigfoot Beyond the Trail, like that whole awesome YouTube series. And he talked about a YouTube, uh, a Bigfoot case rather, to where there were three men and a, a one woman out on this excursion in Alaska, by the way. And um, that they heard a baby crying sort of a sound being imitated. It was obviously not a baby crying, but it was, you know, they thought to lure off like a woman into the woods. So then the question is, okay, well, what if you take the men away from that situation? They said that the only time they've ever heard a baby cry sounding what they called Bigfoot, but they couldn't see in the woods was when they had a woman with them. So then again, you ask, you're like, okay, well then let's get some badass like, you know, Israeli uh, mercenaries over there, you know, some badass women that are just tough as shit and just all chicks and go out there like an awesome predator movie where they just kind of walk around and see if they hear these cries, see if the environment's different. Because even in UFO cases, I've heard that uh, UFO, the occupants will just say ET, um, treat men and women differently. They treat men as something that they can, they need to over overpower immediately because they can themselves be threatened by that man being unincapacitated if that makes sense and then the women they just usually let walk on board ufos they tell them a bunch of shit like um uh, betty and barney hill uh 
Barney was completely incapacitated, drug on the UFO, allegedly, and then Betty just walked on willingly and talking to everybody. They gave her the star maps and shit. So again, it's like this, these sets of conditions now are brought into the conversation for then everyone to go out in the field and test, which is really, really cool. So uh, I wanted to ask you also about something about what you said about the area, about shapes of crafts, because this is so fortuitous and, of course, synchronistic. This is how this stuff works. But just the other day, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the episode before this. His name is Chaz of the Dead. And something that he's an author, uh, talks a lot. I'd love, actually, to get both of you on and, and have that. So we'll probably do that. One of the things he talks about uh, a lot is this cavity structure effect. Have you ever heard of this? Sort of like how bees have a resonant chamber within them that makes them fly because their wings aren't big enough, stuff like that? They, are we talking the... Uh, ET craft, are we talking? Yeah, so basically what bees have to do with ET craft and how this cavity uh, structure effect, this resonant chamber basically could explain how UFOs fly. It could be one explanation. Now, there could be many, right? Dozens and millions. Who knows? Yes, but you said one word wrong there, Brandon, what? and that was fly. Oh, okay. My apologies. Operate. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> Thank know, you. Yeah. Do you see, this is the other thing where... I love it when you get these people on, and especially when you look at the old documentaries. And it is there is a change, uh, and and attitudes are changing, and things are becoming more open. But if you look at any of the old, I'm saying old documentaries, even up till last few years, and they'd get these astrophysicists on, or they'll get these uh, aeronautical engineers on, or these other whatever scientists they get, and they say, well, that can't possibly happen because the G-forces would kill somebody, whatever, and there were no flight surfaces, no heat plume, no whatever. I'm sorry to say, but it's bullshit. They don't fly. Yes, they're unidentified, and yes, it's an object, but fly is the furthest thing from the mind. They don't. They, there's nothing to fly. They don't need to fly. Um, now, one of the things that, to go into it a bit deeper, that uh, Mary Rodwell... Uh, more recently, Kat Marden more recently, and going back, uh, Bud Hopkins and Dolores Cannon, the, and without exception, they've all said that when the, the abductees have had communication with ET, everything's done by thought. And by thought, it's instantaneous. So it's they they become part of the machine, if you like, they are with it. And so there's one of the things that I say in the book, it makes me laugh because there's no such thing as G-forces. There's no such thing as speed. They, you know, they don't, they're in their own little bubble of their universe. And it's just passing through ours how they want it to pass. It's got nothing to do with our physical earth, whether it's, in space, whether it's in our air, in, in the atmosphere, whether it's through the lakes, whether it's through the oceans, in and out of volcanoes, as was mentioned, because they're not within our spectrum. They're not there. They're in their own little pocket. They're completely isolated. So it's all right us saying, yes, we see a flash of light when they go through our spectrum, the speeds that they go at. And one of the other things, uh, 
Captain Frege, when he was on about the Nimitz thing, and he said they'd seen the Tic Tac UFO, and then when they went to the RV point, the UFO was just hovering there waiting for them. Right. And that's because they can pick everything up. It's a thought wave. It's an energy. So that because they completely understand it, it's like, okay, that's where they're going. I'll just bump from there. I'll just wait till they get here. You know what? This makes me so, think so much about... Uh, please go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Damn. <laughs> I love this. So, I love this. Yeah. So if people don't understand. It's like right, one of the things when I sent you the uh, the video that I took. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I took an 18 second video of something in the sky i'm gonna say ufo because it was unexplained and walking back to work and i always look at the sky but where i did work then was uh, an industrial estate so there were these huge lights uh, so you do get a lot of background uh, interference with it so you can't see very much above the larger constellations and that's it if you're lucky and i was going back to work and as i'm walking back uh, this was like three three o'clock in the morning. There was only a few cl low clouds. The rest of the sky was clear, even though you couldn't see the definition and depth of clouds. Um, but this light came out of the cloud. As it came out of the cloud, it got brighter. As an aircraft would, if it was going on a normal flight path, coming into land, they put the land in. I know aircraft have a lot of different lights for different things, but they generally put the landing lights on, so you get this bright light shining out at the front. So it got brighter as it came out of the cloud, and then it was stationary. And straight away, again, it's a thought, and it, you recognise that it's odd, that it's not right. So I got my phone out immediately and started videoing. And I videoed for 18 seconds and it didn't move, it just stayed there. Now, it was just a, an ovoid, for want of a better term, uh, white light. But they did look to be different coloured lights within it. But there were no wingtip strobes or anything like that. There were no noise, no apparent rotation or anything like that. It was just this flickering white light with the occasional light in it. Uh, and it was I videoed it for 18 seconds. And then I put my phone down because I wanted to see it better. And as I put my phone down, it just went sideways and it went, and it went straight back in the cloud again. And it was like, and it, it, it honestly, when it had done it and it had gone, and it was just like, I can't believe that. It was like it just wanted me to know that it was there. And that's the thought I got as well. And then, okay, bye. And, and, it that it, and that it knew you saw it. This is the thing. It, These things communicate with you, which is so cool. They make sure that you and your wife see it, which is beautiful. I love this. And again, I love that y'all share this. Dude, this is fascinating. Yes. What yeah. this what this makes me think about is whenever a UFO comes in, let's say that we're wrong about And I love this. Again, you just put new perspectives on this. I love this. Uh, you Let's say that a UFO, when it air quotes, comes into our experience, perhaps what it's doing is it's just stationary. It's not going anywhere. What it can do, though, is fast forward further or backwards in time. So it zooming off real quick is really just going, OK, I want to be over there in that time now. So really, because time is so governed here, everything here is governed by time, rather. If you have the dial of time rather than the dial of speed, then really you have both. And if you're interdimensional, you can do it this way. So really what they do perhaps is get to a certain, let's say, place in their 
experience altitude from our perspective and then go forward or backward in time or just stay the hell there and we move in our time and therefore it appears to move in ours like it's flying it's how we would describe it but really it's sort of a stationary thing that's experiencing what it's like here for just a minute as it's passing through the other thing to this would be sort of like if you're on a vacation you we i can empathize with this for sure if you're driving through a place you don't know where you're going or you've got to get somewhere to get gas along the way or to pee or something like that, then it's a stop-off point on your way somewhere else. And perhaps if it's just either an interesting area or you've just never been there and you're just curious, you may drive around the town a little bit before you continue on about your journey. Now, perhaps again, like you said earlier, that they blink into this existence and now they're visible for us. Well, perhaps they're like, you know, let's cruise around a little bit. Let's fast forward a bit in time and be here for a minute yeah, we don't care if we're seen or whatever before we pop on to our next jump point in the next dimension, something like that. Or they hop in here and need to go from the meadow in the South Skinwalker Ranch over to uh, the Skinwalker Ranch for that portal. Like it's a layover zone. You know what I mean? It's interesting, man. I don't know. All of it's fascinating, Paul. It is. It's good. You see, there was another case in point where I always try to have something that I can record anything with. And if I do see something, at least I've got something, even if it's not very good. Um, but one of the instances, uh, September 2015, one of our neighbours had just had a baby boy. So they all came over and a couple of the other's neighbours came over. So there were five of us in our back garden having a cup of tea and the women are cooing over the baby like, Ooh, like, like they do. While they're there, she also has, uh, so she's got this little boy. She's got a slightly older boy who was two or three at the time and was into birds and planes and things like that. So I'm trying to entertain him and keep him out the way of the women while they're cooing over the baby. And we'd been looking at birds and I'd got one of these mats on the lawn at the back of the house. And we were actually laid there looking for aeroplanes and birds flying over. As we're doing that, there's a flash in the sky at rooftop level uh, between the houses. And as I looked up, there was what I can only describe as a perfectly spherical glitter ball. Uh, we've all seen the Strictly Come Dancing glitter ball. It was just like that. Uh, and it, it, I sort of jumped up and went, whoa. Uh, because at first when you see a flash, you think it's an aeroplane turning or whatever. But it wasn't. It was perfectly spherical uh, and just a shiny ball. Now, this was the middle of the afternoon, maybe 4 p.m., something like that, between 3 and 4. Now, that was one that I saw later. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll go on to that one in a minute. But the, the reason I'm telling you this is there were five adults, and out of the five adults that were there, we all had a mobile phone, we had two tablets and I had a camera in the house. Now, this thing was in sight for all of us for maybe five minutes or more. And it wasn't until it had faded away. It came towards us from due north, was stationary, and then it went west until it had gone out of sight. So there were five adults and two children. All of us saw it and none of us at any time thought to take a picture yeah, you hear and it that. wasn't until afterwards and I thought why didn't I take a picture 
You hear this, that people think either don't get your phone, if they do think to get their phone out to take a picture. We do hear this. Cass, I believe, talked about this. Cass Clark. But then also you don't think about it at all. No. And I think, again, because ET can control that, they're aware of it. So we weren't supposed to take the picture, so it didn't happen. And that I think that people can be influenced that way. Exactly. I, I think so too, man. It's crazy. This is absolutely nuts. Um. Okay, so I want to hear about this uh, picture that I pulled up here already for you. And uh, please, will you walk us through this thing? Because this is fascinating, dude. Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, here, let me share screen. Bop, bop, bop. Um, there we go. Okay, there we go. It's, okay, so there you go right, right there. Now, this was one. Have you got uh, some others from this series? I do, yeah. Like this. Yeah, and then there's the... that one. Yeah, they that were. One. I were trying to get close-ups. Now, if you go up... Keep going up to the top. Scroll all the way up. No. Uh, that's that, as now, far that as that is that how one. it appeared. That's how it... Uh, now, I got that off the internet from one of the, the other researchers that he put on. Right. Now, the one that we saw was brilliant white, and there was still that... If you can imagine something that was really sparkly bright and leaves like an afterimage. Yes. Uh, and there were that around it. Now, these were others when I was trying to get close-ups. So keep going back up to the top, Brandon, not the others. Yeah, that's the that's the one for this email. Yeah. Okay. Look at well, that. It's the, two that it seemed to be fused together, but then in this next photo, they look completely separate, but you can still see this wisp in between them from where they were connected. Yeah. it's It was... Uh, it was weird from start. Now, we had this in sight for like 40 odd minutes. Unfortunately, the um, the battery on my camera where I could have recorded a video uh, was flat. So I couldn't do it with that. And all I could use was the mobile phone. Uh, and it was, we'd literally been watching two aircraft going over because this was, uh, I think it was September 20, could have been 21. But there hadn't been much aircraft going from Europe, where, where they fly from, we'll say Germany, Holland, that sort of area, over to the States, to you guys, they fly right over the top of us. So we see all these aircraft flying going west all the time. Now, during COVID and lockdown, there were less flights going over, less aircraft. So when we saw two aircraft going over together, uh, I'm not saying they were flying in formation, but there were two within a relatively close distance of each other. It got my attention because it was two aircraft where we hadn't had any. And then looking behind them, that's when I saw this really brilliant white pinpoint light. And I thought, oh, that shouldn't be there. This was six o'clock on a summer's evening, you know, blue skies. You can't see even Jupiter or some things with a higher magnitude. So why can I see this all of a sudden? Uh, and that's when it was like, whoa, look at this, get me binoculars. And that's when they were, in the end, there were five children and eight adults saw that. Uh, and we had it in sight for 40-odd minutes, and it came over towards us very, very slowly, uh, not to be completely vertical overhead. I'd say to about 80 degrees, uh, going due west towards us. It was in, appeared in the east, and then it was stationary, and then it moved off towards the north. And as it moved off towards the north, that's when it, was, it wasn't moving much at all or very quickly. And I've got some uh, Celestron 20, 25 by 70s, 
quite a big binoculars. Uh, so we've got some of the lounging chairs that really recline and we were actually laid on our backs so that you could rest your elbows and use them uh, without your arms aching type of thing. So there were four of us have been looking at it through that. And that's when it looked like a, a donut shape on its side with these other lights around it. And then I thought, well, I've got my telescope. At least I, I can do is try and get the telescope and get a really good picture of it. And it was while I was setting the telescope up uh, that it suddenly took off to the north and disappeared and we didn't see it again. Damn. Yeah, it knew. You you have the most incredible sightings and especially daylight sightings. And you, you have the clearest pictures out of some of the sightings I've ever seen. What did the people in the group that you're with say about the interest in UFOs here? Is everybody pretty much on board with this? Or if somebody is somebody like, nah, it's not what y'all are talking about? Oh, I mean, I've got a neighbor now who just poo-poo's everything. She's thinking, oh, it's an airplane, oh, it's a star, you know. Yeah. Even when everybody else is going, whoa, you know. <laughs> but but the, the problem is, again, how do you prove anything? Uh, yes, there was nothing on the radar app, there was nothing on the flight tracker, there was not, you know, there were no satellites, there were no aircraft. So what is it? It wasn't a planet because it was moving in the opposite direction because planets, as we know, slowly move... And that was that moved in the opposite direction. Uh, and it's it's fascinating. I just wish uh, sometimes I had better equipment and we're, we're quicker to think like we all do. Well, it, it seems like even if you had the perfect equipment, because like you said, you had a myriad of technologies around you that could have captured that moment, but none of you thought to get it. Now, I don't think necessarily it's because you were so in awe at what you were seeing that everything else didn't take precedence because you see stuff like this all the time. People find things in awe and the first thing they do is get out their phone so they can capture it and share it with people, right? Or go viral or something like that. It's on a lot of people's yeah. minds to record with their phone. It's like a, it's like today's equivalent of a six shooter. You know what I mean? People are just on the ready with it. They're on the draw. They're like, whoosh, I'm recording. So it is interesting though, that with all of those people there experiencing something phenomenal, this is not something like I said, I find that to be just a slip of the mind. I think it's very intentional that there is a deliberate interaction with you and this thing where there's sort of an understanding that, nah, just enjoy it, you know, just just put it down. Um, it's just so interesting, Paul. So um, I'll tell you what, we're, we're probably going to wrap this thing up on this one, but I'm going to invite you back very soon, and I'm very much looking forward to the second iteration of UFOs, The Real Story. It is going to be linked below, and then, of course, we're going to have you back on when the update occurs so that you can come back and blow our minds with all the new stuff. So, dude, thank you so much again. This is always fantastic. Please give your give our best to your lovely wife there. And, dude, just thank you again, man. You're welcome back anytime. Thank you very much for having me, Brandon. It's great. And uh, it's nice to be able to get opinions out there and make people think outside the box. And even if it just stirs something and makes people question something, that's got to be a good thing. I want to thank that incredibly amazing dude, Paul Ascoff, for coming by and hanging out with us. Paul, thank you so much, man. Of course, as always, you're invited back any damn time you want. And the update of his book will be coming out uh, this year at some point. So very cool. Look forward to that, guys. But in the meantime, check out his book, UFOs, The Real Story, linked down below, as well as his Facebook group, The Real Story, which is where he documents all of his UFO stuff. And it is super cool. So make sure that you guys go join that. Show my boy some love. Absolutely one of the sweetest people you ever talked to. And I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you so much, Paul. 
right, guys. So uh, as long as you're down there checking Paul in the show notes down there, you might as well check out our affiliate link. So you have Food Forest Abundance, Get Your Freedom From Fear On, Opus, the Organization for Paranormal Understanding and Support. Red Circle, if you want to start your own podcast, the link's down there. Also, if you really want to level up, guys, the Manifestor's Guide, that link down there at checkout, if you decide to take Dewey up on that, uh, it's Expanding Reality, all caps, no spaces. He sweetens the deal after that. It's changed my life. I highly recommend it, which is why I'm so grateful to be in partnership with him. All right, guys, so go out into this incredibly mysterious place. You know, as Paul has told us here, keep your eyes to the sky. Let's keep looking out there for all this cool shit. Maybe the reason Paul gets to see so much of it is just because he simply looks up. So maybe take a few minutes out of your day or evening to do that. It's always a cool, relaxing thing to do anyhow. While you're out there doing all that cool stuff, guys, pick up a piece of litter if you feel fancy. Also, uh, buy somebody in line around you a coffee or a meal. Something super simple goes an extremely far way as far as this collective goes. And of course, get out of the left-hand lane you got somebody else behind you wanting to pass as you traverse this beautiful landscape of ours and above all and anything else guys go out into this beautifully mysterious and amazing place whatever the hell this thing is and y'all just be good to one another be good to one another that's it take that away from this thank y'all so much for watching for listening for engaging and just being the coolest sons of bitches ever we'll see you next time This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.